0: Amen. Good morning. I just wanted to clarify. Not only does God govern is his cats, cat, he governs all his creatures. I was very intent on getting those slides done earlier in the week, and I did not even know how it auto-corrected to cats. So, Dale, even though we're not in the right key, nobody else knows, they did notice that it said cats on the screen, and not creatures. He governs all his creatures. Well, we're going to continue our Advent series in Isaiah 9. If you want to turn there in your Bible, we will read the entirety of the passage that we've been sticking in this season. Isaiah 9, if you wouldn't mind standing for the reading of God's Word, we'll pick it up in verse... The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation, you have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest. As they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulders, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us, with justice and with righteousness, from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord hosts will do this. Would you uh, join me in prayer? Father, we come before you and we ask for your help. We ask for your guidance. We ask that you would help us to behold who you are, that we would hear your voice, that we would... See you as our Savior, God. We have asked that you would help us to see us in light of who you are, that we might worship you, rest in you, trust you, follow you, glorify you. God, would you speak to your people through me? We pray this in Jesus' name, Amen. Get out of the seat. It's not working. Is this better? No scratchiness? All right. Sorry about that. That's why we're voting for a new soundboard this evening. All right. So what's in a name? As we focus uh, our time in that second half of uh, verse 6, we see some names but what's in a name? When, when Kristen and I found out that we were expecting our first child, like any good parent, we bought a baby name book and it was very thick. Uh, and Kristen and I, if you know us well enough, you realize we approached the process very differently. Kristen would peruse the book. She'd get the lay of the land and I refused to even look at the book until we knew we were, whether we were gonna have a boy or a girl because it would just eliminate half the work. Kristen dabbled here and there and, and I wanted to get the entire lay of the land. And so when we found out that we were having a girl, I looked from Abby to Zakara and I wanted to look at every single girl name. And even at looking at every name, we could not agree on a name for our firstborn child. So I came up with a plan. My plan was, you take some time, Kristen, and I will take some time, and let's each write down five names. Let's see if there might be some providential hand of God over these things, and guess what? There was one name that ended up on both of our lists. You might be surprised if I told you it wasn't Mackenzie, but it was Mackenzie, and so we named her Mackenzie. But but names are significant, aren't they? Family names, like Junior, or if you know people that are the third or the fourth, you see that family is important for them, or lineage uh, for them is important. I, we have one of our kids is named after one of Kristen's grandfathers. This signifies the importance of Legacy. Names also encourage maybe people to, to follow in footsteps of significant people. That's why biblical names are so popular in our culture today. Or Hudson, our fourth born, he's named after the, the great missionary to inland China, Hudson Taylor. Names can also reference God's faithfulness. Noah, for example, it means rest. As God's people, we're seeking rest or they look back and see God's hand on someone's life. If you know the story of Jacob's name changing to Israel, it means, Israel means he wrestled with God. God wanted him to remember that wrestling, to not forget. But names also look forward to God's faithfulness. Isaiah, with the book that we're in right now, Isaiah's name means God is salvation. Again, we've seen these themes come out in our study, and we look forward to the things that are to come. But names communicate character and nature, and that's what we're going to look at today. If you're reading your Bible and you see a name that ends in I-A-H like Jeremiah, this is a name that references part of God's name in his character. Jeremiah means the Lord will exalt or a name that ends in E-L like Ezekiel references God's name and says that God is strength. Names oftentimes are very intentional in the Bible. We're going to see that this morning as we see four names for this child and what he will accomplish. Two weeks ago, we considered our need for a Prince of Peace, that we are in a world affected and infected by sin. Last week, we saw the undertaking of the Prince of Peace, that he came to fulfill God's promises, to save God's people from their sins. So this morning we see four names that communicate the nature of the Prince of Peace. Let me read our verse that will, or the part of the verse that we'll be in this morning. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So as we go through this time this morning, I want you to consider one question. What's in a name. What's in a name? These names communicate the nature of the Prince of Peace, who he is, and what he will do. This child, this son who will be given, will be born to deliver God's people and provide everlasting peace and salvation. But this child, as we see in this nature, is both man and God. So we as Americans, we love news about the British royal family. When, when the British royal family has a child, we wanna know, is it a boy or a girl? What's the name gonna be? But just in case we need a reminder, we fought a war that we don't have to care about what happens across the ocean anymore. But we love to hear about what is going on in that royal family of a future king, potentially. But we should be caring about this king, who we see in Isaiah 9. That this mighty God, this everlasting father, these, these terms easily sound divine, right? And there's significance to Isaiah's birth announcement of this child. When a dis- couple discovers they're pregnant, they, they might give a birth announcement that we're going to have this baby. It's going to be a boy or a girl on this particular date. But this birth announcement that Isaiah is giving to us this morning is more than we will have a son. He will be born on December 25th. It's more than that. It's his nature. We'll be wonderful counselor. Mighty God. Everlasting Father. Prince of peace, He will be man and God. Let's look at the first one. Wonderful counselor. This child will have supernatural wisdom. This child will be like David's son, right? Solomon. We know the story of Solomon. He's the most wise man who ever walked this earth. But it's more than just knowledge that this son will have. This child, as we've seen, Will be more than a mere man. The son will have wisdom from God. He will fear God. He will hear God's voice. He will obey God's words. Proverbs 1 7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. This wonderful counselor, though, is no fool. Rather, he's the embodiment of wisdom. It's the Lord himself. Further on in Isaiah we'll see that Isaiah 29 helps us to elaborate on this salvation that God's wise wonderful counselor provides. It says this in 29:14. Therefore behold, I will again do wonderful things with this people, with wonder upon wonder. And the wisdom of the wise shall perish and the discernment of the discerning men shall be hidden friends this wonderful counselor's wisdom will last he's god and he's man he's wonderful counselor he's also mighty god he will be strong and powerful and that might that he has is to have the character and strength of god himself This child will fight for God's people. The same word for God here in this passage is used in Genesis 1.1, when God created everything out of nothing. And this is no God-like hero like Hercules. It's not a great military leader who wins battles. This promised child has so great of power, amount of power, that he can absorb all the evil of the world. This child is God who is omnipotent, a theological term that just means that God has unlimited authority to bring into existence or cause to happen whatever he wills. This king can easily defeat his enemies. And he's got power to spare. This Israel who is behind these walls, they want a powerful king as the Assyrian army is surrounding them. And when they hear that a child would be born or a son would be given, it doesn't end there because the answer to those needs is right there a couple words later. He is more than capable of defeating the enemy. It's what Paul references in Romans chapter four. He is capable of bringing things into existence that do not yet exist. He is just as capable of giving life to that which is dead. He's a wonderful counselor. He's mighty God. He is omnipotent and capable. He's man and he's God. Third, he's everlasting father. This child, this son, won't provide just temporary relief. He will provide lasting victory. And only God can accomplish such a guaranteed triumph. Isaiah 26 verse four says, trust in the Lord forever. For the Lord God is an everlasting rock. And as the reader, it becomes more and more clear to us that the hope that we have is God himself, where names convey his character. This king in whom we are to believe, in whom we are to trust his promises, and our role is to believe in him. He is eternal sustainer. So the current king in Britain, Charles Third, is from the house of Windsor and I was looking it up, that the House of Windsor is not the ruling house that has ruled forever since England was established. They've only been ruling since 1917, 106 years. Kings of this world don't last. Kingdoms and houses will fade away. They will fall. But this child, he will rule forever. In fact, he always has ruled. He will never be defeated. While other kings die, new kings rise, this king is everlasting. He fulfills our ultimate longing, friends, that we have been waiting for. And in the days of Isaiah, kings would conquer other nations and they would take the conquered nation and make them slaves and they would be really kind and they would say, well, now I'm your father. And it was not in a loving and gentle way. They were trying to, to ease some of the burdens that they were experiencing. The, the term father for the kings that would rule on earth in those days was tainted. It was temporary. But this child in Isaiah nine is different. This prince doesn't impose himself on his children. This child will sacrifice himself for his children. This continued description of this king by his name shows us he is man and he is God. He's wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, and finally he is prince of peace. He's Prince of Shalom. He's a word that signifies not just tranquility, but completeness. It's an appropriate title, I think, to end this series of four names. He personally fulfills 2 Kings 22. Therefore, behold, I will gather you to your fathers, and you shall be gathered to your grave in peace, and your eyes shall not see all the disaster that I will bring upon this place. Friends, this prince this child he cares he's more than a king on a throne he is more than a commander of an army he is more than an administrator that he can just get things done with a plan he's the prince himself as a whole person God and man who administers the benefits of peace who's gentle and kind in his rule for you for God's people and so what's in a name Wonderful counselor. He's the embodiment of wisdom. Mighty God. he's the embodiment of omnipotence. Our everlasting Father. He is the eternal sustainer and Prince of Peace, friends. He is a personal Savior. So, why does it matter? Why does his nature matter? Why do these four couplets of name matter to you and to me today? I think it matters for two reasons. It matters because it affects how we view God. And second, it matters how we view ourselves. So let's consider how it affects our understanding of God first. If we answer the question, what is his nature, we get our answer. Charles Spurgeon, the great British preacher, he once said that he must die, or we must die, or justice must die. For God to be just, he must punish sin. In Romans 6.23, you're probably familiar with the passage, says the wages of sin is death. The reason why this child must be God and man is because of the atonement. It's because of what this child would do. The atonement serves to show God's justice, God's punishing his son, manifesting his grace for you and for me, all the while satisfying his wrath for the sins of those who would believe the gospel. To do this, he must be both God and man. The sacrificial system could not atone for sins. It pointed to something far greater, something far deeper, a greater need that you and I have. And as John 1.14 says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father full of grace and truth. When the son took on flesh and he died on the cross, man became that appropriate sacrifice For men and women like you and I who would believe the gospel for our sins, he must be God and man. But our sins are against a holy and infinite, righteous, just God. God is not finite. And so, in order for Jesus to just satisfy the quantity of sins in this room for yours and for mine, he would need to be God, to be capable of covering and satisfying the wrath of God for all of our sins, let alone the whole world who would believe in him. Jesus' work is sufficient. Jesus' work is everlasting from mighty God. It's called good news because there's bad news. And for Christians, we believe the good news that God saves sinners through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus for those who believe the gospel. This child is our king, our God, whom we worship during Advent. And names are important. That's why we agonize as parents of what shall we call the child that we would bring into this world. And the Bible Names, especially of God, display God's nature and God's character. In ancient world, when kings would ascend to the throne, they oftentimes would change their name. King Charles could have changed his name if he desired to, but he decided not to, following the example of his mother. But we see kings that do change their name, or like a guy named the Pope, he changes his name to convey something different. A different perception of nature. He goes back to Francis, maybe St. Francis of Assisi, and changing a perception of what we view of someone. Where we know of kings like Alfred the Great or William the Conqueror, or we know of people in the Bible, James the Just. Our king's name has never changed. This child's character has never changed. For all eternity, he has been wonderful counselor, almighty God, everlasting father, and prince of peace. As we wrap up these names, I think convey advent counting. One, two, three. It's in your bulletin, in your notes to follow along. He's the one who created the world, wonderful counselor. He's the one who sustains the world, mighty God. He's the one who is outside of time, everlasting Father. He's the one who condescends to be our personal Savior, Prince of Peace. Friends, there is only one God, and that's who this child will be, and who this child remains today. That's who we celebrate during Advent. After one comes not rhetorical, two. We're paying attention. This son has two natures. This child is God and man. I sent you all an email a couple weeks ago, I think it was, uh, about a book called On the Incarnation, a book by Athanasius. It's short enough. You can still pick it up and read it. It's a great book to just read through and consider what God has done for you in sending his son for your sin. And in this work, Athanasius says, for this reason, he takes to himself a body capable of death. In order that participating in the Word, which is capital W, so the second member of the Trinity, who is above all, might be sufficient for death on behalf of all. And through the indwelling Word, the second member of the Trinity would remain incorruptible, and so corruption might henceforth cease from all by the grace of the resurrection." Eternally existing as the second person of the Trinity, the Son, the Word, took on flesh, flesh like you and I have, and he conquered death. So corruption would stop. With Jesus' work on behalf of God's people, death perishes. Our relationship with God is restored, and it's also restored with one another. That's why during this season, we have always tried to communicate that Christmas is always connected to Good Friday and Easter. That's who we celebrate during Advent. So one God, two natures of Christ, and three, look at the titles again. Everlasting Father, remind you of the Father. This first person of the Trinity. Prince of Peace, the Son, the second person of the Trinity. John 14, Jesus said this, And I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Then he says, these things I have spoken to you that while I am still with you. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things. And bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace. I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as this world gives you, do I give to you. Helper can be translated a number of different ways. Advocate. Counselor, comforter, but counselor is the one we see in this passage. One God, two natures, all three persons of the Trinity in this half a verse. For all eternity, all three members have worked together in a manner of a team to bring about our personal salvation for those who believe the gospel. The Father initiates the salvation. The Son accomplishes the salvation. The Spirit applies our salvation for those who believe the gospel. Before time, the Father, Son, and the Spirit covenanted with one another to accomplish yours and my salvation for those who believe. This affects how we think about God, doesn't it? It also affects how we think about ourselves. First, I think it should give us great confidence. Isaiah 32, 17 to 18, and the effect of righteousness will be peace, and the result of righteousness quietness and trust forever. It says, My people will abide in peaceful habitation, in secure dwellings, in quiet resting places. But when Jesus arrived in the world, we know at that Bethlehem night, there were some shepherds out in the field and they were startled because a heavenly host, a big army of angels was singing a song. Glory to God in the highest and on peace and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Friends, this son is the wonderful counselor First Corinthians 1 Corinthians 124 of Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God the son is mighty god Matthew 26 this is what caused Jesus to end up on the cross they accused him saying this man said I am able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in 3 days he's capable in John 14, 9, Jesus said, Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you show, say, show us the Father? And he's the Prince of Peace in Romans 5, 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. About 700 years after Isaiah wrote these words, Jesus would arrive to the world. He lived a life without sin. He died on the cross for our sins. He was buried, and after three days, he rose from the dead to give us victory that we truly need, to prove that he was God, to give us a new life. He's not just a wonderful counselor. He's just not a mighty God with a lowercase g. He's not just a everlasting father or a prince of peace. He is the only God. And what Isaiah wants to show us is that we cannot save ourselves. He's our confidence. Because he's our confidence, that's why we must remember the second thing, that we can't save ourselves. This last week, I read an article in the Wall Street Journal. It was about this famous couple, self-help influencers who gained Popularity by being transparent about their insecurities, vulnerable with their followers, and authentic about their courage. This good looking couple took the Christian world by storm about five years ago. The wife wrote a book, it became very famous, but she missed the mark. She wrote that our happiness isn't dependent upon. Somebody else, so happiness depends on you. She said you should never give up on your dreams. She even said that all roads lead to God, so we should set aside our judging of others because sin isn't the real problem. But the python of this book choked many to death, continually calling the reader to do better, to look better, to feel better, And the fame of this book led her husband to quit his job. He was an executive at Disney. He became just as infatuated with the notoriety that his wife got, sacrificing himself to the God of social media likes. But behind the scenes, they were truly broken people. Soon after he quit his job, divorce followed. Their focus was on themselves, their ability, their confidence. And one morning, when no one heard from him, he was found on his bed, having passed away by self-medicating himself from a drug overdose. Right before he passed, he was on social media interacting with his followers, as he called them one time, his online family. Seeking the approval of people when they found him His phone was laying on his chest. Books like Girl, Wash Your Face are how the enemy wants to distract God's people from what is true. Friends, we can't save ourselves. We aren't the foundation for growth. Christ is. We aren't the solution of happiness. Christ is what matters most is what God thinks of us and if you're a Christian you believe the gospel he absolutely adores you we can't save ourselves even the self-help influencers couldn't save themselves and we can't either the God man must and we can have confidence in this child church we can trust this child church And third, we can adore this child. Isaiah's depiction of the nature of the Prince of Peace is a series of four names. It shows us as God's people that God and God alone is the only one who can bring about true, lasting change. And so if you believe him, worship him. If you don't believe him yet, let even today be a day of salvation. Believe in your hearts, confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father and be saved. The word of God came himself as the Prince of Peace in the image of the Father, in the image of man, he came to recreate our image that was distorted by the fall. Death and corruption will fully be destroyed. And as Athanasius alludes, only the God man can do this. One God sent his Son in two natures, truly God and truly man, as planned and executed by all three members of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit, so that you and I, who believe the gospel, can be, as Peter says in 2 Peter 1 by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. And so church, let's worship our king. His nature shows us to put our confidence in him, to trust him for our salvation and to drive us to worship. He's done what we could never do on our own. Would you pray with me as we invite the music team back up to sing of how great our God is. Father, we thank you that you had planned and accomplished so great an act of love towards us to work out our redemption performed by your son, the God-man, to redeem us, to accomplish our salvation, to assure us of the same, that he came to suffer as a man, but as God to overcome, that he came to receive punishment as a man that we deserve, but as God to endure, that he came as a man to accomplish salvation by dying, but as God to apply it to us as he rose from the grave, that he came to be a man by flesh, but as God to make us like him by the power of the Spirit. God, in our weakness, our suffering, most importantly through his suffering, that we would believe and worship you because there is great power in the victory that you accomplish. And so God, would you give us confidence in the fact that we oftentimes doubt, we fail to believe, that we can trust you for your word is true and never returns void God, would you remind us that we can't save ourselves. God, that you would help us to remember that you and you alone provide our salvation, that even the sins that we struggle with today, we didn't deserve the salvation that we received initially, so we can still receive that same grace that we don't deserve even today. So God, we thank you for being faithful that that which you began, you will bring it to completion. And God, we ask that you would help us to worship and adore you, especially during this season of Advent as you came in humble circumstances. But even today, you rule and reign as God most high So, Father, we thank you. We praise you. Be glorified in the rest of our time together. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand and join us?